critical period on the back end of range is that 12 to 16 week period. That's the point where you're like, okay, if we don't have this back yet, what are we doing here? We don't want to push strength too much yet. We're not going to do anything really ballistic or challenging from a stability standpoint. However, we're also not going to spend an hour on range, but that's when you have to really start to say, this is something we might need to pump the brakes and figure out what's going on here because we know that if this person wants to get back to throwing, they're going to need all that extra rotation. Upper limb rehab post-surgery can be exciting, quite novel, quite progressive, but also has its own challenges. Today, we had Teddy Wilsey on now. Teddy covered a paper where they looked at the phases of upper limb rehab after common surgeries in athletes, and we covered the early exercises you might do, how crucial it is to get back early range of motion, and then we also zoomed in on that end-stage rehab. We're talking one to two years, getting back to sport, doing plyometric work around the shoulder, and really making someone return to sport ready with a high level of confidence. A lot of good insights in this one from Teddy. My name is Michael Risk, and this is Physio Explained. Thank you for joining us, Teddy. You've done a research review on this paper. We're going to dig a little deeper into it today. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. Thank you, Ed. Could you start with the title of the paper and your overall thoughts of what they covered? Yeah, yeah. So this is a rehabilitation and return to play of the athlete after an upper extremity injury. So it was really kind of a, a review paper, an expert opinion, and they just broke down the phases of rehabilitation for a few common upper extremity surgeries, rotator cuff repairs, a few different labrum repairs, so a slap and a bank guard or a posterior, as well as uh, Tommy John surgery, so ulnar collateral ligament of the elbow. And they just talked about what you can kind of expect as a physio along the path of their rehab process and also touched on some things that we might want to consider on the return to play in that last few months of rehab. Did you find that they grouped the phases or the timelines by injury or do you feel that it's more of a general guidance of how you would rehab? The phases were really just kind of a general guidance, you know, thinking about tissue healing time, these general principles like, hey, we're going to protect people by and large until four to six weeks post-op, then we're going to slowly progressively load them. I think the important thing to consider here with the shoulder and the elbow, and it's not to say that this isn't important with the knee or the hip, but there's just a really big focus on regaining range of motion early and as sufficiently as possible. Because if you can't rotate your shoulder and lay it back, you can't throw a ball very well. If you can't take that stress on your elbow and you don't have full elbow extension, you're not going to be able to throw a ball really well. So this paper was very specialized for overhead throwers, overhead athletes, and the demands that they have, I think, are unique compared to some of the other maybe more common lower extremity injuries that we see. That's a really important tangent you're touching on with range of motion. Do you feel that that's something we've not done well in the past, or I know younger physios are a little bit cautious with getting range of motion back and it it can be scary to like start to move someone in those planes. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. I think you do sometimes have to be a little bit aggressive in a labor rehabilitation and when you're getting range of motion back. And it's not to say that we don't do that with knees, for example, and with ACLs or even total knee replacements. You know, there are times where manual therapy can be a little bit uncomfortable. And I think for labrums, for a subpopulation of people who are maybe a little bit tighter on that hypermobility spectrum, they probably need some of that too. So, you know, whether it's talking to your patients about what an acceptable level of pain is, 
talking to them about whether their pain is lasting and lingering until the next day or whether it's kind of after their rehab session getting better that night. And just determining how hard to push, I think, is a good way as a young physio or anybody trying to figure out, hey, what's the entry point and how hard or, or how much range of motion work can we tolerate while still improving? Do you feel there's a time, or maybe this is going into the phases now, do you feel there's a time where we start range of motion? Do you actually start that early or do you still give it the four to six weeks of protection? So I would start with kind of the more typical passive or active assistive range of motion early on, starting with passive first. But depending on the surgeon's protocol, and that's something that as physios, we are kind of held to the surgical preference. And that was also discussed in this paper. Depending on their protocol and what they are comfortable with, I will push somebody a little bit more. But by push, I mean more of a verbal push. I will have them kind of active assisted push themselves a little more. Yeah. I'm not going to be passively ranging your shoulder to a four out of 10 pain when you're four weeks post-op. Just because at that point, there are plenty of other things that we can work on. Just gradual reintroduction to load. And we don't need to push the range at that point. But the critical period on the back end of range is that 12 to 16 week period. That's the point where you're like, okay, if we don't have this back yet, what are we doing here? We don't Mm -hmm. want to push strength too much yet. We're not going to do anything really ballistic or challenging from a stability standpoint. However, we're also not going to spend an hour on range, but that's when you have to really start to say, this is something we might need to pump the brakes and figure out what's going on here because we know that if this person wants to get back to throwing, they're going to need all that external rotation. And just to paint a picture for us, if someone's having trouble going into external rotation, what would be some things you're doing for them or you're showing them how to do for themselves Mm -hmm. in the early phase? Yeah, absolutely. So I think active assisted external rotation and having them use either a cane or a baseball bat or tennis racket or anything to help themselves get into external rotation is important. And then I think even more important, and this paper talked about this a little bit, but liftoffs in those positions and engagement of your muscles in those shortened positions. So if you can engage your external rotators in those shortened positions and also in a variety of arm slots. So ranging from your humerus at zero degrees of abduction right next to you, all the way up to that 90 degree point and working on external rotation in those different positions, considering that the shoulder and the joint capsule, as we know from adhesive capsulitis, I mean, it can tighten up, it can adhese, and we want to make sure that we're getting as much motion as possible. It's a nice picture you've painted because often I see that We're just supine on the bed in 1990 and doing passive external rotations. But I love how you touched on getting them to do that in multiple ranges and activating the muscles in those ranges too. That's really important and helpful. Yeah, of course. And I think something else that we would be remiss to not touch on is the skewed total arc of range of motion that you tend to see in the thrower's shoulder. So what that means is if if our normal shoulder range of motion spanning from internal to external rotation is 180 degrees, that might be skewed 20 to 30 degrees toward external rotation on a thrower's shoulder. So while we could maybe classify that as GERD or glenohumeral internal rotation deficit, if it's a total shift in range of motion in both the internal and external rotation planes, if you will, then there's not really a deficit in range of motion there and trying to push more internal rotation and expand the envelope beyond 180 may not be favorable. So important to consider that skewed external rotation, that humoral retro torsion that athletes can develop from a childhood and adolescence of throwing. And it's also important to really learn how to measure that, measure that passively, take up the slack, 
support the humorous. And sometimes it almost takes two people to really get a good measurement for full passive shoulder range of motion. Are you struggling to keep up to date with new research? Let our research reviews do the hard work for you. Our team of experts summarize the latest and most clinically relevant research for instant application in the clinic, so you can save time and effort keeping up to date. Click the link in the show notes to try Physio Network's research reviews for free today. It's a good distinction because that, like leaving uni classically in new grad speaking 1990 with IR and ER, but commonly it could be 100 ER and 80 and even sometimes 120 and 130 for baseballers, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, anecdotally, I will say most baseballers do have more than 180 of total motion and they have oftentimes more than 120 of external rotation and they're not so deficient on internal like they usually have more than 60 but maybe not close to 90. Yeah that's a really good thing to look out for pre-op if you can and post-op and take us through the phases Teddy how did they kind of roughly outline the phases of rehab? Yeah so acute is going to kind of take you up until you regain your motion and once you get past that acute phase I think the term they used for the second one was the intermediate But in that intermediate phase, that's when you're going to really start to reintegrate more traditional strength training. So your rows, your presses, your other things that you need just to kind of improve the muscle mass and start to regain total neural control of that limb. And then the third phase, that kind of advanced phase is when the stability starts. So that's where we've got full range of motion. We've checked that box off. We've started to do enough strengthening that we're starting to regain muscle balance. The third phase, we're doing a lot of proprioceptive work. So whether it's plyometrics, whether it's throwing small weighted balls, whether it's eyes closed, contract, relax, alternate isometrics, rhythmic stabilizations, adding a little more chaos, we're starting to challenge the stability of the shoulder. And so this is going for our rotator cuffs and our our labrums primarily. And then that last phase is return to throwing and return to play. Overhead throwers tend to need a little bit longer to regain that full comfort and power with their throwing motion. And they really have to start an interval throwing program and work through that for a series of one to two months. The statistics on a Tommy John surgery for a a major league baseball player is closer to like a year and a half. So some of the elbow surgeries or that elbow surgery in particular tends to get really stretched out, but it just gives you an appreciation for how violent the act of throwing is and how much rehabilitation you need to get back. Zooming in on the third phase, and then I'd love to go to the the fourth phase as well. Mm -hmm. Could you describe some of the proprioception work, the plyo work? Again, I'm thinking about the new grad listeners, and that's what I find is often missing, that the movement from like row and push exercises to something that looks a little more dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I will say that When we move to that, we don't want to stop the more traditional strength training. So sometimes that's when, for my athletes, I'm telling them, okay, you can do this on your own now. You're cleared to do that. Now we're doing more proprioceptive work, more challenging stuff. And so to describe that briefly, let's say I have a one or two pound medicine ball. It's about the size of a baseball. If you are right-handed and you're on your right knee in a half million position, I'm standing behind you. You got your arm up in 90-90. I'm going to toss the ball over you. You're going to catch that ball and then reverse throw it back to me. So it's coming over your shoulder. You are decelerating that ball similar to what a throwing motion would look like. So you're engaging your rotator cuff, your lats, all in an eccentric contraction, and then tossing the ball back. So we can start to progress what's called a reverse catch and throw. We can start to do tosses with those balls on the wall. 
We can also start to do some other types of just kind of standard exercises, but adding a plyometric or a fast component to it. So sideline external rotation with those little balls. Anything that is manual resisted, we can start to apply more higher impulse and force over shorter periods of time to give people a little bit more challenge and stability. And then also some of your more typical performing movements faster, doing a plyometric push-up, things like that can be helpful as well. It's actually super fun. I remember like learning these exercises for the first time mm-hmm. and it challenges your programming, your speed, the diet. That, even that exercise you described, it, it takes a little while to get into a rhythm mm-hmm. to get it right with your patient. So it's quite fun rehab. It's very fun and it's engaging for them too. Yeah. And it also starts to look like the thing that they love to do rather than just a row as an example. Absolutely. The fourth phase we were speaking to, it could take two to three months, even six months of, say, graded throwing. What does that look like in your experience? Yeah. So generally, the specifics of the sport of baseball, at that point, most of these athletes are with their coaches and they're starting to build back up. Leading into that phase or offering guidance at the beginning of that phase, I can sometimes be involved in prescribing a long toss program. And for a pitcher, pitchers typically stand on a mound. And so when they step down the mound, it's similar to doing a jump down off of a box while you throw. So they're getting extra momentum from that mound. So the long toss is easier on the shoulder. It's easier on the elbow. There's not as much torque. There's not as much body movement that goes on with it. And the long toss is generally prescribed by the distance. So you would start at something around 40 feet or 12, 13 meters and then start to back out to 30 or 40 meters, 100, 120 feet, something like that. And you're trying to throw the ball on the line. You're trying to throw it hard, and you're going to progress, similar to how we do with strength training or a lot of things with rehab, with a gradual exposure, progressive overload type of approach, where you are starting with, let's say, 30 throws at 50 feet. Two months later, you're doing 70, 80 throws with your last 30 throws at 120 feet. Yeah. So... This interval throwing program allows athletes to make specific bumps in their sport exposure without just going back to this coach with this binary thing of, okay, now I'm ready for practice. Hmm. Really specific programming. Again, I think as physios, there's a lot of physios out there that don't have a lot of really good strength knowledge. And this is where I think it falls over is, oh, we're rehabs. We've got full range of motion. We're doing rows and push-ups. We can go back to sport, but really respecting that two to six month journey doing the sport specific thing. I think you've outlined that really well. Teddy, did you have say two or three takeaways from this that would stand out to you or maybe some of your younger therapists that you're coaching now? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just back up on the interval throwing. If you are curious about that as a listener, look up long toss program or look up pitcher rehab, long toss program, something to that effect. There's a lot of papers on it, softball too, not just baseball. And that is an extremely important thing to maybe you don't have to prescribe it so methodically, but to appreciate it and show it to your athletes, it will definitely help to widen your knowledge breadth there. Overall takeaways, we don't have great return to sport testing for shoulders. We've got an ash test. It's not with a force plate, not very accessible for most therapists. We've got an external rotation endurance test, but you really have to rely on your clinical judgment and their feedback. And that's going to be a big part of it. We have some strength tests and that sort of thing, but they don't have the same level of specificity as, let's say, like a a patellar tendon autograft. And I I go back to ACLs because we see so many of them. So first takeaway, return to sport testing is not fantastic. You have to really make sure that you're gradual there. Second takeaway, range of motion needs to be restored. If it's not, 
your throwers are going to have a lot of issues. And the third takeaway is that they should continue with their sport preparation and rehabilitation all the way through that time that they start to play again. This is called arm care. This is something that almost all pitchers and baseball players and people that spend their lives using their shoulders for sports do. And it's just extremely important. It's a form of, of prehab, if you will, or preparation. And it will stay with you if you've had a shoulder injury. That's a really good point, Teddy. Super helpful for young and experienced health professionals. So you did a research review on this. We're going to put a free trial to that in the show notes for people who haven't seen our research review yet, but definitely check it out. We dug a bit deeper today. Teddy, thank you so much for joining us and for your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.